0: And she was ordained today up there at that church to serve in pastoral ways, uh, the church up there. And it was so exciting. We're in shock, Kathy and I, my wife, uh, the mother of our wonderful children. We um, have each of our children, uh, Nick's the youngest, 33 now, age of Jesus when he died, (laughs) I <laughs> know. But anyway, um each one of them is on staff in ministry and we're in shock, actually. People say, What did you do? I don't know. It's all what the Lord did. And this church is here because the Lord raised it up. But he used people. And that's what we want to talk about today. So turn to Acts chapter 1, right? We should start in the first chapter. Yeah. Acts chapter 1. Let's read Acts chapter 1. This is such great reading. I just love it. We haven't done it already, have we? Did we have reading? Okay. I wanted to be here for the worship, but um, their church is way up in Uh, marysville so i broke a few speed limit laws on the way down but i don't know pray for me i need that okay acts one verse one the former account i made o theophilus of all that jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the holy spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father which he said, you have heard from me. For John, he said, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons, which the father has put in his own authority but you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you or when the holy spirit overflows you and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth now when he had taken or spoken rather these things while they watched he was taken up And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. These were two angels that were right there um, witnessing it and telling the guys, the disciples, um, what was going on. And they were in white apparel, which they often are who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names that were gathered were a hundred and twenty men and brethren, he said, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry. Now, this man, Judas, he purchased a field. Whoops, yeah, he purchased a field with the wages of his iniquity and, And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. Oof. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that field is now called in our own language, akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written, here he's quoting what David said, which he referred to earlier. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it that's psalm sixty-nine twenty-five, and um peter pulls that out of psalms and he says this was his a prophecy about him and when you look at psalm 69 25 and and the verses around that you find it is a messianic psalm and it's what um Judas the end that he was going to come to. And then verse 20 at the end there it says let another take Judas' office. He he pulled that out of there and this one's in Psalm 109 verse 8. So here's Peter. I mean, you know, the guy's a fisherman, but he's been studying with Jesus for 3 years. Yes, he knows his Bible. And he he's found these verses applying to Judas to explain how God, God was working through this as sad and tragic as it was. And yet they felt, oh, we've got to have another one um, fill out the number of the 12th. It says, let another take his office. So verse 21, therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two guys Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and the other guy, Matthias, and they prayed. And they said, You, O Lord, you know the hearts of the, of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias. And he became numbered then with the 11. So he rounded out the 12. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, whoo, What amazing verses. What an incredible expression of what you are doing and of your amazing power that we see. And Lord, that power that you promised in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now that Jesus has ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father, And like your word says in the next chapter, the Father and the Son sent him to come and be with them and actually be in them, your disciples and in us, your Latter-day believers, your disciples, this promise of the Father. We are so thankful. Can't even... Thank you enough. So speak to us today about the strength that is available, the power that you give to us. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so my topic then is the promise that the Holy Spirit is. And it is powerful, extremely powerful. In fact, if you're making an outline The title would be The Holy Spirit Promised. But we're going to introduce it describing the mighty power that he has available for you to give to you, that he says, you need this. He says, don't go home without it. Wait until you receive it. And so... We see three demonstrations of his power in this very first chapter. One carries over from the end of the Gospels, especially Luke's. It's very similar to the end of of the book of Luke because Luke wrote Acts. It's a sequel. You know, some people call it the fifth gospel. It's it's what Jesus continues to do and teach. Look at verse 1 there. It says that Jesus, he said, the former account I made, O Theophilus, by the way, the name Theophilus means lover of God or loved by God. And I hope that's true of you. And we don't know if this was an actual man. He mentions his name at the beginning of Luke. And that was the first account. And now here's the second account. It could have been an actual man or it could have been His way of saying, all that love God, knowing that they're loved by God, this is for you guys. And I've searched it all out, he said, and I've written it down from eyewitnesses. This is what he says in Luke chapter 1. And he verifies the same thing here. So, what he starts with, he starts with um, what Jesus began to do and teach. He refers back. To Luke this is what he started to do but then the implication is he continues to do and teach even though Jesus they watch him ascend into heaven he's going to continue to do things and to teach awesome things and acts is going to record those things it's going to be part of the scriptures the New Testament And it continues today as far as doing things. He's still working. How's he working? You're part of his body. If You believe in him. He's creating this entity, the body of Christ, or the church of the living God that Jesus Christ himself will marry at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It talks about in in Revelation 19. And just like a husband and a wife are one flesh, you're part of his body. That's awesome. If you're a believer in him, if you trust in him, you get to be part of him. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me through his Holy Spirit. And he proved his power by rising from the dead. He raised from the dead. After he gave them various orders and commands, verse 2, to what he wanted them to do, he also, after he died then and suffered, presented himself alive after his suffering, verse 3, By many infallible proofs being seen by them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So, here he is appearing to people. Now, the Bible says that he was crucified on Passover. Why? Because he's the Passover lamb. So that his blood you see every lamb or every sheep or every goat or every ram that was ever sacrificed under Moses' law only pointed to Jesus, the real Lamb of God, who actually washes your evil and sin and carnal thinking, behavior, whatever. We've got it. But he came to make us new. And to cleanse us and to change us that's a powerful powerful thing and he proved his power by rising from the dead you know it's not easy to rise from the dead jesus conquered death he's the victor over death that's why we don't have to fear death physically because he's given us the gift of eternal life. What is eternal life? To know God and Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. Acts 17, 3. You enter into this relationship. Now, if you haven't yet personally received him and are believing and trusting in him, you can now. That's what I want to encourage you. Over a period of 40 days, okay? Okay? So like three days later, after Passover, he rose again. And then for 40 days, so 43, he's appearing to people. And he appeared to over 500 different people. In at least 14 different appearances, he appeared to some small groups. He appeared to the group of disciples, the men, disciples, a couple of times. He appeared to the women, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Salome, and, you know, especially Mary Magdalene, he appeared to. He appeared to James, his half-brother. He appeared to Peter, like four or five times, one time by himself. And it doesn't say what happened there except that he was restored and then he appeared to him with a bunch of other fishermen remember and he took Peter aside and he says peter do you love me more than these because remember peter had said i'll never deny you no I, I will die for you i i can see what you're saying a lot of the disciples will fall away but me never So, so Jesus says to him when he appears to him with the fishermen, other disciples, he says, Do you love me more than these? Then feed my lambs. Now, Jesus said, Do you love me? Do you agape me, which is sacrificial, unselfish love? And Jesus says, I like you a lot. He uses the Greek word phileo I love you affectionately. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? I love you. Tend my sheep. Do you love me more than these? Yeah. I've already said it. Then tend my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. He's giving, he's restoring Peter's calling. And it's Peter that takes the lead. It's, It's amazing. You know, the Lord cares about you. Peter and those guys, they were devastated. Peter did what the Lord told him was going to happen. You're going to deny me three years before the cock crows this morning and the next morning. And sure enough, he did. And then Jesus is dead. And what can I do? I, 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 I failed him, but now he's dead. And he forgot that Jesus told him five times but I will rise again on the third day. I mean, come on. Five times. You know, he says, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. He's, Luke is emphasizing again, he appeared, he rose from the grave. He conquered death with many convincing proofs. Most of these eyewitnesses were still alive as acts is being written. It's about 30 years later, in 60 or 61 A.D., he writes Acts, and it's amazing. It's amazing, the proof. The story of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true religion or faith of Christianity, it's not based on myths or a feeling I got burning in my bosom. No, it's based on proof. Exactly what Jesus said he would do. And why did he do it? He died on the cross. Says in Romans, chapter 7, verse 25. He was delivered up on the cross for our transgressions. Do you know what transgressions are? They're willful sins. You say, oh yeah, sometimes I make mistakes. No, you willfully sin. And when we start repenting, which simply means change your thinking and trust now in Jesus, and he's going to free you from that worst kind of bondage. This is the power of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ applies to you and I. He's the risen Lord. The verse that we mentioned earlier, it says, I Galatians 2:20 I and the Greek word is ego that's the word for I in Greek ego I am or have been crucified with Christ see when he was crucified in our place it was really yours and my sins that were being judged they were being judged He had to do that. He's the only one who could because he was the only one who had no sin. He could be the substitute dying in your place. That's why you don't have to constantly condemn yourself like the devil wants you to do. When you fall, you need to turn to the Lord and receive cleansing. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and righteous and he'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Isn't that fantastic? That is so good. And it enters you more deeply into a relationship. You learn how to fight off the temptations of the world and of the devil. And that's what he wants to teach us, but you cannot do it without the risen Christ in your life. And we'll talk in a moment, the Holy Spirit filling your life. Not only causing you to be born again, because the first night after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples, 10 of them. Thomas wasn't there because he was so discouraged and so doubtful. He didn't want to show up. Let me, can I just share... On Sundays, or when they have our when we have our meetings, you need to be there. And and the disciples told Thomas, hey, you should have been there. And he goes, Why, you know? Well, because Jesus appeared. <laughs> and you missed it. He's risen, Thomas. He's risen. The women weren't t- telling a bunch of fables. They actually saw him. We didn't believe him either until he appeared to us. Isn't that funny? They wouldn't believe the ladies. That stinks. But we tend to be like that. So Jesus appeared to them. They told Thomas. Thomas said, unless I touch the nail prints in his hands, I won't believe. Real winner guys we've got here among the disciples. And that's what he's got now, too, (laughs) to work with, a guy like me. You know, I was raised by a raging alcoholic. My mom was a wonderful Christian, but it was tumultuous in our household. There was fighting going on because of his drunkenness, coming home four or five nights a week drunk. Oh, it was not easy. But you know what? My mom brought us to the Lord. And when we became part of this alive church like this, it changed our lives because we had Jesus in our lives. So the resurrection of Jesus, he gives you his power and he promises you his spirit. We'll talk about that last. But the second thing is, not only did he rise again, but he ascends. Before them, they watch him ascend. You know, what was it? It was like 24 years ago. Is that right? No, not 24. Um, Summer of 69. Let's see, that's 31 plus 22 is 53. Is that right? Because I was 19 years old. And now I'm 72. If that makes sense? <laughs> All right, that adds up. The summer of 69, there were three guys up in a lunar module that had blasted off into space. And on July 21st, Neil Armstrong stepped off the ladder and Apollo 11 to the moon and he said that's one small step for man for me one small step but one giant leap for mankind now when you think about that okay it was a giant leap i got that it's cool to say we we've been to the moon but what good has it done us you know what i mean i i think it's cool I'd like to do it again. I don't want to personally do it. Let these billionaires do it. I don't like, I hardly like to fly. You know, in Alaska, is, they do a good job. I shouldn't be worried about it, but I get a little afraid. If I went to the moon, I'd be freaked. But how many would like to go to the moon? Okay. You guys are got a lot of courage. That's awesome. I'm going to appeal to that courage in a few minutes. But, Listen to this, the Saturn Saturn V rocket is what blasted that that voyage. It weighed 6 million pounds. It it stood 363 feet high, still the tallest uh, rocket we've ever had. And the Apollo lunar module weighed 107,000 pounds. Neil Armstrong weighed 170 pounds. But that was without his, his backpack and spacesuit. With that, he, had, he weighed 360 pounds. But the moment he stepped on the moon, he only weighed 60 pounds. And he could bounce around. Amazing. It was the fastest weight loss in the history of weight loss. And in fact, if you're worried about your weight, you may want to go to the moon. It's, it's taken care of. <laughs> I know, I mean, it's facetious. An incredible feat, maybe, but it says nothing compared to what we hear, what we see described here. Jesus went up on the Mount of Olives and he gives them some last orders. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then he starts going up. Now, it wasn't a blast off like, Saturn five, but he just starts going up. I, I kind of think more of floating, but I'm not sure I wasn't there, but he went up. He didn't need a rocket, a cloud finally caught him there at a certain point. I don't know. That's what it says. A cloud. He went into this cloud and whoosh, And we know that he went back to heaven. The Bible says that he went back and sat at his throne on the right hand of the Father. And so the disciples are like, did you see that? They are completely mesmerized. But they're not shocked in the sense, oh, it's Jesus. That's how it happened. But you know what's exciting to me? Is that we're going to get caught up. We're going to be caught up to be with the Lord. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the dead in Christ, a trump of God is going to be sounded and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. 1 Corinthians 4.17, I believe it is. Caught up. The word is in Latin, rapturas. Maybe you've heard of the, the doctrine, the rapture. So there will be this rapture. It means snatched away. We will actually be caught up to be with the Lord. And so shall we always be with the Lord, the Bible says. Now, that excites me. That takes away my fears. You know, there's a very natural fear, it says in Hebrews, the fear of death. It's a very natural fear, but it's something that you don't have to have. I do pray that I'm going to die in my sleep. (laughs) You know, that's that's how I'd like to go, but I don't know how he's going to do it. Either way, the moment after a believer breathes their last and I've seen my dad breathe his last. He came to the Lord. At the end of his life, and all he wanted to do was sing praises to God for three weeks before he died of lung cancer because of smoking and drinking. That was his lifestyle. But all he wanted to do was praise the Lord. And when he breathed his last, it was, it was awesome. I was the only one there. So he did it late in, in the day. And I'm like, are you gonna breathe another one? I was I was thinking, give me one more. But he was gone. Regardless of how it happens, if you're a believer, even if you've a new believer, you know, people talk about what? These uh, late deaths, what do they call those? Foxhole conversions? You're in the foxhole, you're going to be killed or whatever. Maybe you are, but then you're with him. You go to be with him. You see, our citizenship, Philippians 1 says, it's not here on earth, but our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait eagerly wait for the return of the Lord. Are you eagerly waiting for the return of the Lord? He wants you to be excited. Now, people say, well, are the signs of his coming here? Are they happening? Well, that's up to you to study and find out. But one thing I will say is Luke said some cool things about that. At the end of uh, his gospel, he says, um, let me look at this. I hope I can find it. Oh, (laughs) wrong page. There it is. Just a minute. There it is. Okay. Okay. Anyway, he basically said the same thing Mark said. He said, when you see certain signs beginning to happen rapidly, your redemption is drawing near. Now, one thing we can say for absolute certain is we've never been nearer to the second coming of Christ than we are now. Now, that's just just logic because days have gone by. But let me ask you, How many of you before this pandemic have been in a pandemic? Raise your hand. Did you know that pandemics will be one of the signs? Because it talks in Revelation 6 through 8, a bunch of these types of things will impact the world. Plagues, pestilences. Those very types of things. The Bible also says that people's love is going to grow cold in the last days. And that there will be much fighting, even among families and division. We think of political fighting. There's so much political fighting. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm not going to fight politically at all. It doesn't matter to me if you're right or left. What really matters is, are you trusting Jesus? And I want people to listen to me, whether I'm a Republican or a Democrat. So I'm not either. I'm an independent. Now it's just me, you know? I, I just want to tell people the truth, that they need Jesus, and he loves them. And just like he promised, and like is told here, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner have you seen him go into heaven. One thing is for certain he is coming back. And if you doubt that, then you doubt what he promised. He said he is coming back. Six times in Revelation 20, he says he's going to set up a thousand-year reign of jesus christ upon the earth now i understand that some bible teachers spiritualize that and say it's not really a thousand years and so on and so forth but in six straight verses it says six times he will rule and reign for a thousand years revelation 20. so i don't know what that means if you if you know what it means then whatever and i'm you know our all millennial brothers and sisters who trust in Jesus who died and rose again for them they love the Lord that's great it's not essential that you believe in the literal thousand year reign I don't know why you wouldn't but anyway that's just where I'm coming from I am so excited for him to be king over this world and show what it was meant to be like the Bible even says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be there. It says that David will be ruling also because he was. it was promised to him. But Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise and the Lord will be the one ruling. But that's, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But I want you to search it out because to me it gives so much incredible hope. And I'm so excited that we are headed to a much better place than we see right now. Now, being with Jesus is going to be thrilling. But when you stand before him, you want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you want him to say. Where did I put my phone, by the way? Did I stick it somewhere? What time is it? Do you have a clock? Eleven o seven. Okay. Where did I put my phone, though? This happens to me. Tell him, Nick. It does happen to me. You know what? Let's be in my coat. Just one second. I like to keep track of what we're doing. And you guys probably would too, because we were planning to go till two o'clock. Is that all right? Okay. You're right, Nick. It's actually eleven ten. So you need a new watch. You want the Lord to say, well done, well done. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be Now, Abraham was a rich man. There were a lot of wonderful, rich followers of the Lord. And they're the ones that love Jesus tremendously. They're always giving. I'm amazed. I mean, people who've supported this church for years have done that. Like Nick said, we supported the church for some time, but there were... People that believed in it so much and they often came but they the ones giving to that but they wanted eternal treasures and that's the thing that we want to concentrate on we want to serve him with every breath you've got with every heartbeat that you want to be alive with Christ We don't want to be living carnally and and serving our flesh or stumbling by this world or by the devil himself or a demon or something like that, seeking to keep us from accomplishing God's purpose for your life. One of the most exciting things in the world, I think you do not have a fulfilling life unless you're doing what he created you to do. To me, having meaning in life How many think having meaning in life is important? Let me ask you guys. Take a little poll here. It is so true, you guys. I had no idea that I would be a pastor. I had no idea that it would become a large church. You know, I figured, oh, you know, I'd be happy with 100, 200 people. For a long time it took... To get to that and then all of a sudden there's a couple thousand people and now we're needing to plant churches why because Bible churches where they're learning the gospel they're learning what the Bible says they believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is being poured out and filling people basically Jesus himself said is anyone among you thirsty Ask yourself that. Are you thirsty? Okay, you're probably a believer. Are you still thirsty? Come to me and drink, he said. And out of your innermost being will gush forth rivers of living water. That's something he wants to do in you. It's not something you can do. You shall receive power, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. That's how we can fulfill our purpose. You know, I know a lot of people in this church. And one of our sweet missionaries is down here in front. I don't think she probably ever thought she'd travel all over the world. Did you think that? Way back when you were a, a girl? little? Say you were five years old. That is so awesome. Five years old, and the Lord told her. <laughs> Well, he has a plan for you. That's the point. Do you know in Acts, the disciples' names that we just read down in verse 13 and 14, both the men and women disciples and the brothers of Jesus, they weren't even Christians during his three-year ministry. They didn't even come to know Jesus until after he rose again. And he appeared to James and all the brothers came to the Lord. Amazing. If you're struggling and you've been praying for your loved ones, don't give up. Jesus had a problem with that too. His brothers didn't even believe in him until he conquered death on their behalf. Now they're going strong. Now James is the pastor the church in jerusalem as luke writes this and before he was making fun and mocking jesus about it how sad but we all have those issues that we battle so we need his strength we need his power and 57 times in the book of acts it mentions the holy spirit And yet the disciples in chapter 1, most of them are not mentioned at all again. Only Peter, James, John, and then another guy whom the Lord saves in chapter 9, Paul. Those are the ones that are mentioned. It's mainly about those guys, but there's 110 other names that we've never heard of before. But now we know. 110 names in the book of Acts of God, people that God used. They're not household names. Most people who are really being used by the Lord are not household names. Who even cares about being a household name? How about spreading the fame and the name of Jesus? You know, want to know a really good way to do that? I want to give you this This little secret that's really, really helped me. I've had the privilege of leading a lot of people to Jesus. Many of them have been one-on-one. And this is what the Lord showed me. Pray about this. See what you think. You know how you talk to people most days, right? You might talk to one or two. You might talk to five. You might meet a new person. There might be someone at the gas station, the grocery store, Um, Maybe at school, at your job, you know, you're talking to people. When you're talking to people, inevitably they'll talk about something that's bothering them. Some need that they have in their life or a loved one that they care about or someone that's really irritated them or is an irritant to them. Just something difficult in their life, they will speak about it. It might be a sickness. It might be a broken relationship. It might be, you know, battles going on among uh, loved ones. There's so many things people like to share. They want to, they're kind of sharing their heart. The Lord showed me. He said, Wayne, whenever someone does that, I want you to ask them if you can stop for a moment and we can pray for it. That's all you have to do. If you just say, hey, wait a second. Could I, I relate to what you're saying. And that's a a big need. Could we pray for a minute about that? Now, they might get shocked that you're doing that. (laughs) And they might think, ah. But you know what? In all the times I've done that, only once has a person turned me down. And I'm talking about hundreds, hundreds of people. One time, I was turned down, and I told the guy, okay, I respect your space, and I won't do it right now in your presence, but as I leave, I'm praying for you. I want you to know that. And if anything happens in what you've talked about, call me, would you? And he did. It's, see, the presence of God, when you pray, with people whether they're believers or not you're invoking god and he's with you and his presence is there you're talking to him they may even feel something i don't know all i know is the lord uses it and it's an easy easy way to witness 79 times in the book of acts the name jesus is mentioned 79 more than the Holy Spirit it's Jesus but Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit Jesus rose again Jesus ascended to heaven he's going to bring us to heaven that's power but he also wants you to pray and be filled Filled with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power. Dunamis. It's the word from which we get dynamite. Or dynamic. You say, I'm just not a dynamic person. The Holy Spirit will make you dynamic, even if you're not. Just the your countenance. The more you allow him to have control. I'm telling you. People, they're the, like, And I want you to keep praying notice they prayed they prayed for seven straight days He told them to wait in jerusalem until you've received pentecost He knew he was going to send the holy spirit and we'll see it next week. You guys will I won't be here, but it's gonna be fun The holy spirit's going to pour out gifts of the spirit are available prayer gifts action gifts The lord is good And we just want all that he has and so he gives us that power that we might be witnesses, it says in verse 8. The word witness is the Greek word martyrs, and we get the word martyr from it. You say, Wayne, does that mean when you're filled with spirit, you probably get martyred? What a martyr is, actually, in the sense of witness, is it someone who believes in a cause or a person so much? That they would die for that person. There's nothing here worth dying for more than Jesus. But better than that, worth living for than Jesus. Because when you live for Him, you're giving your life for Him. And that's what He wants. And I just want to warn us of one thing. Let's see how much time we have here. What time are you done, Nick? Just about done? We are done? Okay. (laughs) Okay, then I'll wrap it up. Let me me do this. I'll skip the other part that I was going to do. Let me um, look at this part. Will you guys just read this for me, with me, one more time? Look at verse 18 about Judas says, now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. Falling headlong, he burst open, and his guts came out. Okay, there you go. That's not a pretty picture. It became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. That field is called in their own language, Akel Dama, which is field of blood. It was the blood money of betraying Jesus that bought that field. But it's really interesting. In Matthew 27.10, it says that when Judas threw the money back in, they picked it up, the Pharisees or whoever it was, the you know leaders of Israel. They went and bought this field called the field of blood and they made it into a field of pottery. They used that field to dispose of all broken pots, all broken statues made out of clay. They took all the pottery that was flawed and messed up and had, you know, it it was just completely messed up. And they bought that field. And that's where the potters would dispose of all their pottery. And you know what they did? They'd remake the pottery. Because you can reuse pottery if you heat it up really, really strong, even after it's gone, and then use water, mix it with water, it can become moldable again. And these broken, injured, what were useless pieces, now can be used. And that's what it was used for. That field that was a field of paying for Jesus' death became a field where new vessels could be created. To me, it's just so amazing. Because that's what Jesus does through the Holy Spirit. It takes a person that's hurt and broken, heals their lives. takes a person who's despairing, discouraged. Gives them a sense, no, God has love for me and he has a plan for me. Let's pray. Thank you so much.